Quick reminder that our Good Grief giveaway is coming to a close here soon. We will announce the winner on December 29th. This winner will receive $750 worth of grief support, including an eight-week online course with Move Through Grief, a copy of the book Modern Loss, a 45-minute coaching session with psychotherapist Gina, as well as a bag of artisan coffee or tea. Thank you again to our interviewees who participated and donated their time and resources so generously so that someone who could really use some extra support in this time as they work with their grief will be able to benefit from this incredible package. Go to our Instagram page at thirdplacepod to check out the details and please share it with someone that you know could potentially benefit as well. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. As we close up our four-part series on grief, we wanted to give one last shout out to our partnership with Covituary. Covituary.org is a free online memorial site that allows friends and family to be together virtually to celebrate the lives of those lost to COVID-19 over the last year. As Megan, one of the co-founders says, COVID-19 has taken an incalculable death toll and has altered our world in ways we could have never imagined. We've personally seen the pain that comes from postponing funerals and memorials for those we love, and we are proud to offer a free, safe place for people to pay tribute to their loved ones. She puts it perfectly, and we are so honored that we were able to bring out this work through covituary.org. We hope that this four-part series has been helpful. Thank you to covituary.org for supporting us with the third place. Today is December 22nd. It's the first new day, the day after the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year. In Cincinnati, today we will have three more seconds of sunlight. Tomorrow, six, then 10, and December 25th, we'll have 14 more seconds. In Boulder, where Mary records, she's just a touch more north Three seconds longer today, then seven, then 11, then 15. For the next six months, each day will bring more light. As we wrap up 2020, we are also finishing up our series on grief. And today we're interviewing Emily Bingham. Emily is a fitness professional, mother of two, and as of March 2019, a widow when her husband passed away from uveal melanoma, a rare cancer that affects approximately 2,000 people annually. As Emily started to rebuild her life as a single mom and head of household, she found herself overwhelmed by grief and paralyzed by the reality of her new normal. Leaning on her movement background as a former ballerina and current spin instructor, she turned to fitness to cope with her grief. While verbalizing her feelings wasn't always easy, 
She was able to manage her emotions by moving her body. So in December of 2019, she founded Move Through. Move Through helps adults who've experienced the loss of someone special in their lives cope with grief through exercise. It's like group grief support, but instead of talking about grief, participants move through it. Emily strives to connect anyone who is grieving to provide them with a safe and supportive space to experience their emotions and empower them to move forward from their loss. So why did we end this year talking about grief? I love how Gina responded to her first question on the last episode. So why did you specialize in grief? And her response, because it was so much fun. Of course it's not fun, but it's necessary. And also, one thing I think we've learned through this series and, and some of what you'll hear today, in grief, there is hope. 2020 has been such a hard year for everyone. Let me say that again. There has not been one person who has not been negatively affected by the harshness of this past year. Through this series, we have learned that grief can bring us meaning. Grief can help us bring clarity. We can see through the trees. We can see beyond ourselves and identify what is really important. Grief gives us celebration. While of course grief brings immense pain, it's the pain that also forces us to realize the love of who or what we have lost. It's all still hard, so, so hard. In encyclical, the hard moments are still going to come in waves. In those waves, we will cherish memories. We will cry and feel lonely. We will pick ourselves up even when we don't want to. We will rest. Someday, we will hug dear friends again. I'll be happy when I can do even the simple act of shaking the hand of a new friend. Whoever thought that was something to savor and to cherish? 2020, in all of its fury, shows that we have work to do. Just like the fact that today is the first day of new light, we are still just heading into the cold of winter. January and February will still bring winter hardships. And we're going to go into the hard places too. The work of the third place, it's just beginning. We want to equip ourselves with tools for creating safe dialogue and deepening our connection to one another. In January, we will begin unpacking knowing more of ourselves as we begin to wrestle with how to have those conversations in the gray. The more we know of ourselves and how we process, think, feel, and communicate, the more we might just learn how to hold space for people who are different than us. 2020 ends leaving us with so much work to do. We grieve the pain of this past year, but we also hope and look ahead to what can come. Each day brings new light. Everything that we must work on, we will work on. We will make progress and move forward. In the darkness of the night, look to the sun. Tomorrow is brighter than today. Let's all look ahead to the sunrise and cling to tomorrow's light.
we are welcoming our guest, Emily, today and really eager to hear your story. And thank you so much for coming on board. So, Emily, can you tell us a little bit, you know, about yourself and um, your relationship to grief? Sure. Um, So, yes, I'm Emily. I am a mom. I am a fitness professional. And I am also a widow as of March 2019 when my husband, Ian, passed away from uveal melanoma, very rare cancer, when he was 32 years old. So it's been a lot of grief (laughs) on top of grief with COVID. But, yeah, I think my grief journey really began... Not when he was first diagnosed. He was actually first diagnosed in 2011. We were both 24 at the time, still dating. We had been college sweethearts. And it was just an eye tumor at the time. And I think both of us had this you know, mindset that we were invincible. We were going to be the ones to beat this. It was just one small tumor. There's no way that it could get any worse. And um, we just kind of, I mean, obviously we were we were worried, but we just kept living life. We kind of said, all right, we're just going to push this aside. And we ended up getting married. We ended up starting a family. I mean, we did what we needed to do with doctors and scans and treatments. Um, but we just really did not let the fear of it get in the way of our lives, which was really awesome. Cause I think that's hard to do for some, some people. But then his cancer did metastasize, and once this type of cancer metastasizes, it's pretty much fatal. Most people live like six to nine months after you find out that it's metastasized, and Ian luckily lived um, 15 months past that time. But that was a period of anticipatory grief that at the time I didn't know what that term was, Um, I was just trying to manage the feelings that kind of came up. And so what that kind of feels like is really not being able to plan ahead because everything is so uncertain. We would plan a doctor's visit, try a treatment, and then you do the treatment for like three months and then you go and get the scan to see if it worked. And if it did, it's, it's great. We bought some more time. If it didn't, okay, well, what's our next plan? What's plan B? And so it was never like we were able to say, oh, next year we want to go on a trip to Africa because we didn't know if he would be around. And um, that was really hard. And I think it feels that anticipatory grief is a lot like what we're experiencing right now with COVID. Just it feels like you're trying to make plans on just like quicksand because you just don't know what each day will bring. And everything is just so incredibly uncertain and you're literally anticipating the worst. Like a lot of people right now don't know if their jobs are going to come back or if the economy is going to come back. And it's the same thing for us. Like we were like, we don't know if Ian's going to be around for my son's first birthday or various milestones. So that was a long period of, of anticipatory grief. And then Um, I'm sorry, I'll backtrack a little bit. We found out that his cancer metastasized in August of 2017. So we had about like six years there where we felt like things were under control. And then 15 months after that, he ended up passing away in his hometown of Hawaii on March 26, 2019. It was an incredibly peaceful and beautiful passing for what it could have been, you know, like we had 15 months where we really just, our mentality was like, 
hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And to us, that meant like making the most of the time that we had together. But after his passing, it's been now almost two years. It'll be 21 months on day after Christmas. Um, the grief has been primarily with just the loss of my husband and understanding and learning that it's not just losing a person after someone dies, you lose so much more. Like I lost the role of my husband, the father of my children, um, my best friend, just all of the different things that he did like around the house. And for us as a family, I lost the sense of my family structure. I lost my identity and a lot of like my purpose in life, like our shared goals. Um, all of that was just like gone. And these were things that I didn't really think about leading up to the loss. So navigating just all of those different losses on top of the logistics involved and then the emotions like of grief has been a journey in itself. And it's been really, really hard. You can't deny that, but it's also been incredibly profound and I've grown like so much from the experience. Not that I would ever trade it for Ian's life to have him back, but I think, you know, we all kind of find ourselves in this situation. It's like, it is what it is, but it'll be what we make it. And no one is really alone in this struggle. Again, comparing it to like COVID and the grief that we're experiencing there. Yeah. You know, I'm so sorry for your loss and your children's loss and his family and community. I mean, I think that that needs to be said for one. And, you know, you brought up something that I actually don't even think I've heard of the phrase, or if I have, it hasn't sunk in of the anticipatory grief. And Mm -hmm. so COVID's probably triggered your familiarity with anticipatory grief. I could see it as happening in two ways. One, you're familiar. So like there's a muscle memory that may come from it, that maybe you operate out of that muscle memory and then I'm wondering or it could be the flip side it causes a a trauma response like has does it go in waves I'm sure for you and what's your experience with that yeah I had a really really hard time so like I call it the world shutting down because that's what it felt like (laughs) Like back in March of 2020 and that was right around my husband's one-year death anniversary I actually had this like awesome healing weekend plan to go to Sedona by myself and just like, you know, lean into all my feelings. Lament. Yeah. Yeah. And then everything just like closed down. And it was, it was really incredibly triggering. There's two things going on. There's the grief of like the loss of normalcy that we've all felt, but then yeah, the anticipatory grief um, that kind of weaves in and out because we just, our future is so unpredictable right now. But I sensed it literally right away. I was like, this feels exactly how it did when Ian and I were navigating his like cancer journey. And God, it's like, I hate to like qualify. I think we naturally do it. Like what was better or worse? Because in some ways, just having that, like the finiteness of death, it like almost forces you to accept a situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas with or, I mean, it's still hard. You still didn't want to deny it. But with COVID, it's like the desire to fight 
the situation and the reality is so much more there or at least it was for me like I was like I don't want this like I just you know I just lost my husband and now this and it really took me a while like I had to go on a long hike and I was like all right what would Ian like tell me right now and that was just to you know make the most of the moment try to stay focused on one day at a time and again like it is what it is, but it'll be what you make it. Like, what can you do? This is your situation and you can either fight it or I can surrender to it and just kind of flow and figure out how I'm going to make this work. Yeah. I think surrendering has like a bad connotation to it when what you just said right after that though, is that surrendering is kind of a act of, of being in flow rather than being out of flow. And, And you, you know, you also mentioned that going on a hike, like that it's productive for you to move. And that's what we're excited to hear from you too, is that out of this, right, you found a company called Move Through. Mm-hmm. And yeah. can you tell us about Move Through? Yeah, sure. So, well, and also just, I just want to say on Surrender, like, I feel like we also like, like we have this thing about like beating, like we have to be the ones to like beat, right? But like, that's like the meaning that we're giving it to, right? Surrender is like, to me is like grace and fluidity. And, but that's like a side note, cause that's helped me get through the loss of my husband a lot. Um, but with move through, yes. Yeah, so move through basically throughout my entire grief journey, whether it was anticipatory grief or whether it was after the loss, the, the emotions and feelings involved can just be incredibly overwhelming. And for me, it's, inc- it's very difficult to just like sit still and like be sad or to sit. If I'm feeling anxious, I'm like, Oh, I got to do something. I can't just like, like sit here and be in this. Like this is harder anger because emotion is energy, right? And it needs a place to go. So I used to be a dancer and I'm also a fitness instructor. I teach spin and I teach bar. So like intuitively, I just said, okay, I need to move my body. So if I was feeling anxious, I would jump on my spin bike and and go ride ride through it. Or if I um, was feeling sad, just I had a lot of like heaviness that I was carrying, I would go to yoga and just kind of like move through it in that way. And I, I kind of just picked my workouts based off of the emotions that were coming up for me. And it's funny because if I went to a workout – <laughs> where if I like picked wrong, like I'd notice it. I'd be like, oh, yoga's like way too chill. Like I'm real angry right now and I can't like get my zen on. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so that was kind of funny when that happened. But I think like I hit a point six months after Ian died and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And like I was like just going back to my normal nine to five didn't feel right. Like I think the whole experience, I just was really like jaded and I wanted to do something really meaningful. And I had found that through sharing my story on social media and through the GoFundMe that we had started, um, people would just reach out and say like, wow, like your, your words have really impacted me. They made me see the world differently or they're really helping me because I just lost my mom or my husband or someone. And, and to hear that, like my experience was helping someone else's just, it, it, it was, it was incredibly healing for me. So I kind of, I worked with a coach and I married these two ideas. Like how can I use my story to help others in a way that's true and authentic to me, which was um, through movement so um, I started Move Through, which is a community where we bring people together and we help people cope with grief through exercise. And we're doing that in a lot of different ways. We have um, in-person workouts here in Denver. I have virtual workouts now with COVID 
did. And then I also just launched my first course, online course, which basically talks about eight common emotions experienced in the grieving process. And I've created a model on how it just teaches you how to own your feelings. Um, as a society, we tend to suppress harder emotions like anger, like sadness. We're kind of taught like we need to keep it together or we should just like move on. You know, you don't want to feel sad because um, we, we should just be happy all the time. And it's for someone who has just gone through such a monumental loss. I mean, our body is like physiologically responding to this. It's not like we even have conscious control over some of these emotional responses. So it just does a huge disservice when we're not allowed to feel what we need to feel. And I think that's what really gets people stuck in their grief. Um, cause we get caught in this like cycle of negative thoughts saying, I should feel happy. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm not allowed to be angry when all of this is a natural response to a loss. So it just teaches people how to own and embrace their feelings, how to feel them through a workout and then how to kind of go on and reframe the hardship that you've been through, how to look at it and say, okay, well, this horrible thing happened to me and we're not going to minimize that experience because it was awful. But at the same time, how can I reframe this as a learning opportunity? What can I learn from my feelings? And how can I see the world in a new a new way based off of what this experience has brought me? I love how the communal aspect was so important. So you had all this feedback where you were really uh, you felt like it was helping other people and they were saying it was helping them, but then it, it did also help you too. Like it was this two way street where, mm-hmm. and, and, and even with building this community for physical movement and recognizing that these emotions are in our body, there's still so much of that community aspect that you're kind of bringing to the table. And and you're right. Like we don't know how to talk about these hard topics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even in our American greeting, Hey, how are you? And the, the correct answer is good. Good. <laughs> and if you want the real answer, you have to ask the question again and say, no, I mean it. Like, really, how are you doing? So I just, yeah, I love how you recognize that we, we've got to figure out a better way to talk through these harder conversations as well. And grief being obviously one of them. Yeah. And what's been really powerful is that people who've come to my workouts, at least in the in-person ones, like just being in the same room as a bunch of other people who've experienced something similar. I mean, maybe it's not the exact same loss, but it's a loss and not having to actually put words to that and to just feel that energy has been really, really supportive and empowering for everyone. Because um, another thing that I struggled with and that I've talked to peers about is like, it's hard. It's hard to name our emotions because we're not really like taught how. Um, there was times where I'd go to therapy and I would talk about what was coming up, but I still, I'd just be like, I don't know. I'm just like off. Like I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't put my emotions into words, but then I would go to a yoga class or something and I would just like cry in Shavasana and I would like release it. And I, I just felt better. And I think that sometimes when you are deep in grief, you don't necessarily know what you need. You just want like that glimmer of like hope or relief from that like darkness that can yeah. really feel like it swallows you at times. So, yeah. And sometimes there just aren't any words. Mm-hmm. So there are no words to say for sure. So what are the eight, what are these like eight steps? 
So, okay. So the eight, the, do you want the steps or the emotions? There's eight and eight. Oh. <laughs> I yes didn't mean to, yes. but it was kind of, it, was, it kind of happened organically. Okay. So I, I got together just like a focus group of early people that had been like following me at my spin studio who, you know, I told them I was going through this rough patch and then they were like, I've been there too. And it's just like this really cool organic connection that you have by just being vulnerable. Right. And so I created a couple of different focus groups and they helped me. I said, all right, these are the emotions that came up for me. Like what came up for you on your journey. And we honed in on eight that seemed to be like pretty common across the board. And then also, you know, I've done a ton of grief research. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler is on grief and grieving the five stages. And um, so that's how I kind of came up with the emotions. And then I, I also worked with a social worker who kind of clued me into acceptance and commitment therapy, which is basically about just owning our emotions and then like feeling them, learning how to feel our feelings and then finding a way to kind of reframe the situation. So the move through method follows kind of that philosophy, but I kind of added my own little twists to it and it follows the acronym move through. So M is motivation. So that's the reason behind our behavior and why we're feeling that way. So I'll say, all right, guys, come in, let's get into our bodies. Let's see what's coming up. If you notice anger or something, can you explore why you might be feeling this way? And then I actually ask them to write it out. Like I have it on, on the mirror. So anger, I'll be like doing Thanksgiving with my parents and not my husband. <laughs> and so everyone just writes it out. And it's really cool to see everyone's different things. Cause again, you don't have to say it, but you're like, wow, like, yeah, I feel that too. Like I hate seeing, I hate going to like baby showers. Cause when I lost my baby, like that is a trigger for me, you know? Um, so then, so that's motivation. I asked them to keep that with them the entire class. O is ownership. We own our feelings. I say, all right, let's be angry together. Let's be lonely together. It's all of these feelings are here for a reason. It's okay to feel this way. V is validation. Again, giving them that validation. It's okay to feel that way. And in the course, I actually go like deep dive. Like this is why your body is literally responding in this way. And then E is experience your emotions. And that's like a big chunk of the workout or the experiences feeling them. So this isn't an opportunity to necessarily escape your emotions. It's an opportunity to confront them and explore them and feel them. Because a lot of times people will work out and say, I'm just going to work out to like distract from like the pain and to like numb it out. This is like, no, like you're going to face this head on. And then T is together, highlighting that you're not in this alone. This is a community. H is honor, honoring your pain, honoring your loss, honoring your person. Because I think in order to start seeking the light, you have to honor that darkness before other eyes, you're just like bypassing, right? Like it's there, it's real. And I'm not trying to take that away from anyone. And then you go to R, which is reframe. And then U is understanding. So what are my feelings teaching me? What is this anger telling me? And even on a broader scale, what is what am I learning from just this entire experience of loss? So do you offer a spectrum of exercises or energies or approaches to to mirror the emotions you're advocating for? 100%. Yeah. So your anger workout's going to feel completely different than sadness. Actually for for sadness like I tell people just like go for like a walk or just be completely still, but it would be like a much more like restorative 
um, yoga flow where anger is going to be like slamming stuff into the ground and like punching (laughs) things. Um, And they all kind of follow a similar format just because I have a lot of like moments of intention where you're really focused on what you're feeling. And then there's a period where we like release that energy through like some sort of a cardio burst or Mm -hmm. yeah, just kind of get it, get it out. Well, that to me sounds like the difference between just going to exercise to bypass compared to, you know, having a productive experience. And, you know, it's not that like, that through that, then suddenly grief goes away, right? It's no, like, yeah. yeah, that it, that it's a, it's just a, a working with it because yeah. it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I guess a question that comes up for me though, too, is, you know, if we're so not in tune with what emotions are naming the emotions, how do you guide someone to identifying the right output of energy if they're unable to recognize what energy they're needing. Right. So, I mean, that's honestly what the course kind of like dives into. Like I literally am like, all right, this is anxiety. This is how it might feel in your body. And so that that just like teaching people that a lot of times there is kind of this like brain body disconnect and how can we kind of turn off our brain and tune into what's coming up for us in our bodies to notice it because really like it's giving ourselves permission to feel these things, right? Like um, you said it at the beginning of this podcast about, and I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but like you can experience so much joy, (laughs) but it's almost even more amplified in the presence of such sadness and being able to say, okay, right now in this moment, I am feeling sad and allowing myself to just like feel that fully and cry has brought me more joy, you know, overall in the spectrum. Like I think you need both extremes and that's what we're missing, right? Is like we just want to solve and be better and feel constant happiness, but that actually takes away from the whole human experience and acknowledging too that like our feelings are just feelings. Just because I feel anger does not mean I'm an angry person. It means right. that I'm having an emotion that I need to like work through. And a lot of times beneath all the anger is another wound that needs to be healed. And like, there's just so much self-growth that can happen when we just allow ourselves to, to feel what's coming up. So how does this work influence your children's grief journey? Um, I love that. So we're like, we're learning from each other. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like if I see my, so my son is two, he knows the narrative about um, his daddy dying, but he doesn't know what that means. Like he doesn't get the context of it. My daughter, Isabel is five, is now getting like the permanence of it. And is like, sometimes she'll still be like, is daddy coming back? And um, she I have to tell her, you know, no. And that's hard. But so sometimes like when she's crying, whether it be related to grief or whether it be related to not getting to eat a cookie or something, I'm like, all right, Izzy, are you ready for a solution? That actually came from Glennon Doyle's Untamed. And I love it. Oh, no way. (laughs) Because it's so true. It's like sometimes we just need to be like, 
pissed off and or like we just need to like have a little tantrum before we're able to have that clarity where we're ready for a solution and I think that's another missing component with like grief like sometimes we just need to be sad and we don't want to read a freaking self-help book or we don't want to like get better we just want to freaking feel it and so that's what I try to do with Izzy I'm like all right well are you want to be better? Do you want to feel better? And she, you know, sometimes she'll sniffle and she'll think about it. And she's like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, okay, well then let's, let's do like a breathing exercise. Let's breathe together. Smell the flowers, blow out the candles or if she's really having a hard time. Well, I'll say, all right, are you angry? Do you want to go hit a pillow? Do you want to go scream with me outside? So I just kind of ask her like how she wants to release whatever she's feeling. And then you know, there's times where I have definitely not modeled the best behavior. Like I've like, it's a lot like single parenting during COVID online learning on top of grief. Like I've definitely lost it in front of my kids and I'm human too. Right. So I just say, Izzy, that was not the best way for mommy. I was angry and here's why I was angry. And I probably like next time, will you come scream outside with me or scream into a pillow? Because I did not mean to direct that at you or so just trying to be really open and honest about our feelings with one another. (laughs) Yeah. And that her witnessing the extremes of emotions, I feel like are just as valuable to your messaging. Right. And that the coming around of witnessing that you are human and not perfect is also a value. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I told you this. I lost my father in March this year unexpectedly. That's right. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, No, but the reason why I bring that up is that I remember it's still on Thanksgiving, right? I heard a song, had never heard the song before, said I liked it, then recognized that it was one of my dad's favorite artists. And then (sighs) boom, you're like, you're like... (laughs) well, shit, I didn't know that was going to happen. And we were playing a game as a family and I just lost it and had to, <laughs> had to leave the room. And then, and you know, my, my little three-year-old boy is just like all little boys nowadays are, they're so intuitive and empathic and sensitive. And so then he comes up and he's so concerned and I can see the energy transfer to that. Suddenly he feels like he wants to cry, he's confused, he's not sure, and it feels out of control. And so it is hard to balance the inconsistency of grief and the ugliness that it can expose with the composure or consistency you're trying to, I don't know, embody around children especially. So yeah, I don't know. It just reminded me that it just is like, it's really ugly on many occasions. And right. maybe the ugly is, is good too, because that's a permission giving act. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like being open and being honest is one of the constants that's required, mm-hmm. you know, with yourself, with other people, with your kids, owning that you're like, oh, that wasn't me yelling at you. That was, you know, just owning it. And it's like embracing it. Yeah. Embracing it. One, I think like we do, we do qualify these emotions, right? Like joy, happiness, love, content are good. Sadness, guilt, anger are bad. And someone sent me a quote early on. It was like, feelings are feelings. They all deserve reverence. And we just, we just do this with anything and it's just natural. But I've been really trying to like, if I catch myself doing it, I'm like, well, why? What makes this bad? Like, this is just as much 
of an important emotion or a natural emotion as these other ones on the opposite end of the spectrum. One of our first episodes was an episode called Beautifully Angry. And through that dialogue, like just even talking together online, we're like, anger can be this good thing. And it's, it is just this emotion. So why, why are we feeling that? And what is it telling us? You know, exactly. and how do we embrace it? Yeah. The piece to me that makes moves through, I think, so beneficial to people is just giving that permission because we don't, we beat ourselves up. And that's literally where we get stuck in grief because we're like, it's like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? I'm such a bad person. I'm now I'm screwing up my kids because I can't get out of grief. And we just go around and round and round and round. And the only way to like break the, that negative thought cycle is through moving our bodies. Animals do this naturally. They, um, when their fight or flight response gets caught in a loop, they have a natural instinct to go and shake. We don't have that. And, um, our minds are really, really powerful. <laughs> yeah. So we just get trapped. It reminds me of this. I was trained in authentic leadership at a a Buddhist school in Boulder. Maybe you know, since you're in Colorado at Naropa. And a ton of leaders from the industry I was in at the time came together to get trained in this. And we were like, how can we, to frame for the whole training, how can we make sure that we're all able to bring our fullest, most, most authentic self to the table? And it was the statement that you are not what you say. So by remembering that what you say or what you feel is not who you are, Mm -hmm. that then allows you to not get stuck in this cyclical thought pattern of the concern or the overthinking or the trying to make sense of things or trying to understand where it comes from. And instead it can be this like free flow of, of thought and feeling. And it just makes it so that it's less inhibited. And yeah, that still sticks with me today is like, oh, okay. Like, I love how you said, like, if you experience anger, you are not an angry person. But so often, I think we even put that on other people. When I experience anger from other people, I get such a visceral reaction that I label them as as an angry person. Like they need to go control themselves. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like, I think that the practice is not even just that we can probably, by giving permission to ourselves, do a better job at putting that out to the world as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. I also love how we can, like, there's feelings are conscious, right? Whereas emotions can also be experienced subconsciously. So if you think about, like, anger is an emotion, like, it again, it's a response. And sometimes we, we don't, there's a certain degree of control over that, right? Um, but then also for these more, these feelings where we do have conscious thought involved, like how can we, how can we change that narrative? Yeah. Like with loneliness, like what am I making of my loneliness? Um, with guilt, like, well, am I, am I, am I really like, Guilt when you've done something wrong is founded, but when you haven't done anything wrong, you're just having regrets over like something that you had no control over, um, being able to challenge that, but having the knowledge to know like what we can actually control versus like what is more of an automatic response. I think at least for me, it's been really helpful because it's just like, all right, like I'm not doing anything wrong. Like this is just. Like I just lost someone who I loved, who I spent like 18 years of my life with. And my body is just responding to that, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. So normalizing all of it. Normalizing something that I feel like feels foreign, but is one of the most... Universal. Yeah, right. Is is the universally binding thing. Like, right, it's like what's guaranteed is that we will all die. Yes. So, you know, and it's always intense to even say that. I think that that's why the conversation of grief is so heavy because it's it's one of the the staple things that we all know to be true. Right. But the resistance, like you, you know, sort of started with was that, you know, as COVID hit, like, I've recognized so much resistance in this time too. like, no, it's just going to get better. This like, you know, you get kind of, I'm an idealist for sure. I always become, (laughs) I'm such an idealist, which can sometimes mean that I'm like avoiding things too, just Mm -hmm. because it's, it's a survival tool, but it just is, it's just an intense thing to, to sort of sit with. It is, but you're right. And I, I mean, I hope like one of my like big goals with move through and just sharing my grief journey is to normalize death and that experience be, and you know, like I have, I've struggled with COVID because the way I see it is just another way to die. It's another risk factor among many. And I just feel like if we were able to recognize that we aren't mortal and that literally every day you leave your house and you jump in your car, there's no guarantee that you're going to make it back. Like, how does that just shift our perspective on just how to live like fully and more gratefully and more in the now? Has that manifested for you? I mean, I'm sure that it comes and goes. It's like it goes in waves. (laughs) There's some days where I, you know, I have these like moments where like I really reflect and like I look at the world and I'm just like, God, like everything is so freaking beautiful and you just want to like soak it all in. And then you kind of get back into like the, the grind and, and it's just human nature. We can't all just be like outside journaling and, you know, (laughs) just like, Oh my God, like this flower. It's so amazing. But just taking that time to actually like stop and just reflect and and really realize, yeah, like it's just nothing is guaranteed. And I, I think it's hard to pass that message on until you've been through something because you really like I thought I was freaking. I mean, Ian got diagnosed with cancer and we we're like, we're fine. <laughs> you're you're going to make it like even then we were like, no, we got this. But yeah, and then it, it's just your worst nightmare comes true and you're like, oh, OK, like shit can happen. Yeah. And, yeah. What advice do you give to people that like, I think one of the hard things with COVID is it's like this prolonged grief. So mm-hmm. we don't know when it's ending. Thankfully it looks like there's some end maybe in sight in the next, I don't know, six months. And then for people that have lost loved ones, oh. they'll probably be, you know, there's the grief of the moment. There's a the grief of not being able to celebrate that person's life because we can't really gather right now. So there's like, there's going to be these extra waves of grief. And then we're all just trying to hold it together. Kind of like mm-hmm. we've mentioned several mm-hmm. times. Like, so what is that sitting in it look and feel like? Any kind of tricks? Yeah, that's hard. Um, I always start with just give yourself permission to feel whatever you need to feel, to do whatever you need to do, because there is no right or wrong way to do 
grief. And it's just so unique to everyone's journey. So I would say, um, one is give yourself permission. Two is trust. Trust in your own process. We, we tend to, or at least I did, we tend to second guess our own grief and say like, we're doing this wrong. So just again, going back, there's no right or wrong. And then support support so that you can make space for your grief. And that's hard right now because support looks different than it did, you know, back in February of this year. We don't have friends to like hug and to touch us and to hold, but, or to just even distract us sometimes. Like support can go, it can be logistical. People buying you groceries, it can be emotional, talking to someone and crying with, it can be a distraction. So acknowledging that there's a lot of different ways to to get support and if and if you're not comfortable asking find someone who will <laughs> and if you don't have that network within your family look online search the hashtag grief like the most powerful tool for me was connecting with other widows and hearing their story and and then don't compare but like look at them for just hope and inspiration like if they can do this then I can too I also would highly recommend this podcast called Terrible Things for Asking. It's started by a widow and it just highlights these people's stories of struggle where like horrific stories of struggle. And I know it sounds bad to like go there, but you're like, wow, if they can do that, I can do this. You know, just like that same support. So, so yeah, what did I say? It was like permission, trust, support move your body in some way, do an online workout at home, go for a walk, just get out there and move because even though you might feel like you're like okay in your mind, something might be manifesting in your body that is nice to just release or if you are in that kind of like negative spiral, just moving that through. I think those would be like my biggest tips. Yeah, still to this day, every time I ride my bike by myself, I cry. I don't, it just, <laughs> you know, I was a crier to begin with. So it's like, yay, like my poor household. And there's so much, <laughs> so much crying happening, but it does like you didn't even know that you needed it. Right. And then it, yeah. it comes yeah. through. And I have a couple questions, but one very specific question I have was inspired by someone asked me last, last night, my friend texted me and said, my best friend just lost her mother and she was one of the only people at the time that brought me like a bounty of food afterwards, which ended up being so huge. I didn't realize, but it was like, it's kind of like when you like have a child, right? It's, it, there's a lot of the same things that I think with birth and death can like be um, same yeah. gestures, yeah. but she asked me like, what can I do besides bring food? And the one Thing that I shared as advice in this time, and I'd love to hear if you have anything to add to that, was not only in the immediate future provide support, but in three weeks, in two months, like when in it's two years, yeah, <laughs> you know, when it's not gone away mm -hmm. for the person that's grieving, when you know, I compare it to like tragedies happen on the news, and then a week later, the it's no longer on the news, yeah. but it's still mm -hmm. with those that are grieving, right? So I, yeah. that was what I suggested was like, you know, set a calendar reminder for yourself to reach back out or to give another meal or, yeah. or to provide some support. Is there anything you would yeah. add to that? No. Cause I think that it's hard to know what to do for people when they're, when they're grieving. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that can be like one of the most like isolating and depressing moments for someone in grief is when you're just like, everyone is moving on 
except for me. And I like to say moving forward instead of moving on, because moving on implies that you just kind of like, we're done. And it's not, it's, you're always, it's always there. But yeah, and I also think like a lot of people, now that I'm in my second year of grief, like people have said, um, it's a lot harder because people expect you to be over it. And um, that can be really hard because then you start second guessing your your grief again and saying, yeah, I shouldn't be really sad. But the reality is that it's with you for life and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like my sadness that I feel for my husband is like literally all of the love that I had for him. And it's like how I connect with him now. And I'm like totally okay with crying, especially during like the holidays. It doesn't have to be, you know, this sad, depressing thing. It's just, it is, it is. But yeah, I love, I love the idea of checking in and, and just showing up, right? Like instead of asking what you need, like just go pick up some, Thai food and drop it by the house (laughs) because a lot of times you just don't even know what you need. Right. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And not even asking them what they need, but maybe providing options. Like I, I also equate it to like when you have a toddler and you're like here, like you can have this or this, like it makes it easier for them to, to then make a decision. And and maybe that's another solution is say like, I'd love to bring you, send you flowers or buy you a meal. Like, yeah. Then, then they feel like, oh, like what will instead of this vast joy? array yeah. of like when I'm like, the, you know, they're like, I'm a wo- yeah. overwhelmed as is. I have no idea what yeah. I need. So it was so awesome when my husband passed. We were in Hawaii at the time, and his friends would literally just like pop by and be like, "All right, give me a job." They'd be like, "You know, I'll you want me to do like cook? Um, you want me to take the kids?" They, but they would just they, they just were there. Um, cause you know, some people will like say like, well, what can I do? And you're like, well, do you really mean it? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was really nice to just. So the other question I have, you know, you talked a lot about mind body connection and that's something that we really are into. We have music playlists that we accompany with every podcast and, and David's a musician. We just think that so much of music can play a role in productively, you know, connecting the mind and the body and bringing the logical with the feeling. And do you have any songs that have meaning to you that you would (laughs) suggest that people could add to their playlist and that we'll add to this playlist? Oh my God. I can send you guys like so many playlists if you want. (laughs) Like I have like a playlist for breath work. I have a playlist of songs that remind me of Ian where like, I literally feel like he's like speaking to me through the lyrics. I have playlists for like angry songs. I have playlists for just like literally everything. Um, I have this playlist that I always reference. It's called Chill Vibes. <laughs> yeah, these are more songs that are just a little more just like peaceful and they kind of just allow me to just be, but they always typically like elicit some some sort of emotion and I always end up in tears but like I said like I like to cry (laughs) (laughs) well and earlier we were talking about how sometimes there are no words that's what I think the beauty of music both the positive and the negative emotion the beauty of music is it just connects the body it connects the emotion part of our brain it connects the logic part of the brain and sometimes it gives us words when there are no words to say yes Absolutely. So you guys, the song I like is Obrecht. It's O-B-R-E-C-H-T. And the artist is Analog Deer. Yeah, so you guys heard it here. 
Emily said the one that you have to turn on after listening to this is Obrecht from Analog Dare. Yeah. Just go, like, turn it on, light a candle, go look at the stars and just, like, or the sunshine, whatever time of day it might be, and just, like, see what comes up. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming on. Can you share where everyone can find more of your work? Sure. So um, I'm on Instagram, Emily P. Bingham. And then that's where I write about my grief journey a lot. And then for Move Through, it's um, the website is movethroughthrugrief.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. I actually just started a TikTok account too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's um, the handle is Move Through Grief, same spelling as the. Um, website <laughs> beautiful thanks so much for coming on the third place yeah. means a lot to us and sharing your story yeah thank you guys thank you so much this has been really awesome i'm glad we got to connect us too the work that you do and your story is it needs to be shared and Aww, you happen you. to be in colorado so <laughs> now you know we, we can see each other and go yeah come to a workout i should once it's safe once it's safe but yeah it'll be fun yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Emily. Be well.